0: wonderful thank you thank you it's uh, it's been great to be with you uh, over the weekend, and we've had uh, we've had such fun uh, yesterday, uh, just in the presence of God, enjoying God together. So it's great to be uh, to be back again. Um, as Sam said, my name's Andy, and uh, I've the privilege of uh, being the eldership team leader uh, at King's Church in Horsham, and uh, we have a, a great church there, and it's it's great fun. I'm here with Hazel, uh, my long-suffering wife, uh, who. Uh, uh, we're up for our 25th wedding anniversary, uh, next year now. So, uh, that's uh, coming quick. She's done well. <laughs> Uh, we have two boys, Tom, who's 21, who just graduated um, uh, on Friday. We went to his graduation uh, in uh, TV and film production, um, so that's quite cool. But he's come back um, to live at home again, so it's great. He's working uh, for a f- company called Fruit Media. Um, you may have seen some of their stuff for New Day and all those kind of things, but he's, uh, he's currently working for them. And Eddie, um, who's uh, 19, he is studying uh, sound engineering um, at ACM in Guildford. So I have my own media team uh, on staff at, uh, at our home, uh, which is wonderful. Um, but they're, they're doing great. They both serve. Both the boys sort of head up our audio media and our visual media um, at church. And uh, like us, they're up to their armpits in all that God is doing, which is uh, really exciting for us as a family. Um, as a church, we've been seeing amazing things. Uh, the goodness of God just poured out on us over the last two or three years. Um, we've almost doubled in size in that period. Period, um, And God has just been pouring out such kind of blessing on us. And um, I think part of that has been a journey that we've all been on together. And uh, we've been in new frontiers like you for a long, long, long time. And one of the things I'm so grateful for in being part of New Frontiers, is the theology um, that we have, the theology that we've learned, the, the wonderful uh, just understanding of the Bible. And, and my problem has been not my theology, my problem has been my experience of my theology. And uh, I, I understand it all, but I don't do it all and uh, I think that's been part of my, my journey over the last few ye- years is that we have excellent theology but not particularly very good experience of that theology and so that has been the story um, of, of us the story of me over the last three years I love the Bible, I love it, I read it every day and I read stuff in there that I want to start seeing happening in my life there's stuff in there that I want to do that the Bible says I could do that I don't do but I want to do. And, uh, and, and that's why I love it so much. But it's that whole sense of I want to start doing the stuff that's in it. You know, I've been reading the Bible since I was 10 or 12 years old. That's when I became a Christian and I've been reading the Bible all that time. And it's so familiar to me. It's so familiar to me that people are raised from the dead in the Bible. I just read through it. It's so familiar to me that blind eyes are opened that I just read through it. It's so familiar to me that the lame walk and the deaf hear. I just read through it. And theologically, I approve of it. But experientially, I hide from it. I'm just saying. And so that has been our journey, really. It's been our journey of of looking at, at God actually doing the stuff In our lives and in our church and in our town that I read about in the Bible. And uh, there's been so many encounters and and things that have happened to us um, that are just amazing. I've seen more legs grow than I care to number. I've seen hips realign. often bad backs are a result of one leg longer than the other or or misalignment in, in hips. And so I have seen legs grow I've held legs if they've grown in my hands I've been at churches where I've got some of the skeptical teenagers at the back to come and do it for for me so they have held legs and watched them grow in their own hands there was this one time this is a true story all right I'm honest look at this face would it lie I had I was contacted through my blog um, by a girl who read all the stories of legs growing. And uh, she contacted me and she wanted to know if I had faith. She wasn't a Christian. Did I have faith for both of her legs to grow? Because she wanted to be a model. This is a true story. all right. She wanted to be a model and she was about an inch and a half too short for the agency to take her. And so she was researching on the internet about legs being made longer and she found my blog. And so she began to try and enter into chorus. This is true. Look. Honestly, and, um, and so she started to, to write, and we was emailing backwards and forwards, and um, uh, at the time, we had one of our uh, impactors uh, was with us, a girl, so I thought it'd be much better for her to be corresponding with this girl for so many reasons, um, but it was great, so they started corresponding, and in the meantime, she was up in Middlesbrough, so I, I got in touch with the church up there, and uh, kind of said to them, you'll never believe with well, this, but... Um, anyway so we invited her to go over to the church and I said they'll lay hands on you they'll they'll pray for both your legs to grow uh, honestly this is true so watch out if I find anyone from around here they could be coming your way and so I said so go and she went and she found Jesus <laughs> come on how cool is that okay she's still too short but she's on her way to heaven, so, so that's kind of cool. And she found out that she's the daughter of the king with a much bigger inheritance than her modelling career could ever afford her. So uh, so she was doing well, that's a true story. Um, and, and we've seen all sorts happening um, at Kings. We've seen people with testicular cancer healed. Um, we've had so many couples um, that were infertile, lots of, of young couples particularly infertile. Um, and now we've got this this mass of of Pregnant women about to pop, um, uh, uh, almost any second. Um, we've seen so many, so many things happen. We we've uh, had words of knowledge. I had a word of knowledge a few um, weeks ago while I was preaching, and um, I mentioned this one yesterday. But it was it was interesting because it was all about tubes and you know um, irritable bowel, all kind of embarrassing, difficult stuff, which we just kind of put out there and said God wanted to heal. And um, the thing was, was that some people found that difficult because it's embarrassing. If you've got to stand up for something like that, that's quite embarrassing, isn't it? It's difficult. But actually, sometimes I believe that, that God speaks in order that we are prepared to go after our healing more than we're worried about our reputation. That we're prepared to pursue God more than we're worried about our own embarrassment. And actually, we saw someone healed amazingly in that context where he'd been prayed for before. And he'd seen some relief and then it had come back. And then he'd been prayed for again and he'd seen some relief and it had come back. But on this occasion, when he felt the Holy Spirit come on him to stand, he he said, I'm not going to stand up in front of all of these people. And then he was prompted by the Holy Spirit, well, how bad do you want to be healed? And then he stood and had instant healing and has never seen the return of the symptoms since, which is just amazing. We've... There's been <laughs> there's been so much going on. And this isn't limited to adult church. It was great to hear Sam saying we don't have a, a junior Holy Spirit. We are seeing God break out in all sorts of ways in our in our kids' work. Um, and actually, one of the, the infertile couples, they've been through all sorts of treatment. They've been and done everything. And it got to the point where uh, the lady just said, I've had enough. I've just had enough of being poked and prodded and all of this. I'm done. So we'll just call it a day. I am done. And uh, she was it was, uh, it was heartbreaking for her and for, for her husband. But that was the decision that they came to. And uh, on the Sunday, she's one of our teachers in a threes to fives. Um, and one of the other teachers just got the kids together and said, right, lay your hands on Ali's tummy and speak life. And she fell pregnant that month. <laughs> a true story. Right there. So we're seeing stuff with our kids. I mean, we're seeing weird stuff. Stuff, you know, that I don't have a theological box to put in. Um, so we see kids coming out after being praying and seeing signs and wonders and all sorts of stuff coming in with gold dust all around their mouths where they've been praying. Um, kids covered um, in gold dust. I, I don't know. That's just a sign that makes me wonder. That's all I can say about it. I don't know what it is. We don't go after it. We don't chase it. We don't pursue it. But it happens. Um, it's happened to me. It's been in situations where you've just been preaching, and you get sit- and just there's just gold dust on you. I don't know what that's all about. I don't know. Please don't come and ask me. I don't know. I've got photos of it on my phone, but I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it happens. And that's really been the story that we've been we've been on. Angelic encounters. Now I don't know, kind of, what you think about that, but. There's angels all through the Bible. The early church couldn't have done what they did without angelic encounters. Jesus, what happened to him when he was in the wilderness? He was ministered to by angels. Jesus. So if Jesus needed to be ministered to by angels, how much more so do we? And I I don't know what that's all about. It It was all out there on the wacky fringe as far as I was concerned until I had an encounter myself. And then when that happens, everything changes. And there's all sorts of different types of encounters with angels. Again, we don't pursue them, we don't chase them, but we recognize them when they're there. And it's just a sense of, and I can see some of you look like you're sucking on a lemon right now, but but it's just that it's in the Bible. What do you want me to do? I, I don't know, it's there. And actually we just read through it and we don't think about it. There's angels after angels after angels in the New Testament. Tons of them. And yet we just, we we, we get a theological agreement with it. But we have no intention of making it a practical experience. And I think that, that kind of needs to change, and, and that's really been part of the, the journey that we've been on, is to pursue the presence of God. We've seen this stuff, we're experiencing this stuff, and as far as I'm concerned, there's no way I'm going back. There is no way I'm going back to the way things were. I love being in his presence, I love encountering him, I love having things that make me wonder more about him. And so that has been the story, and, and, and there's so much happened, and often I get asked the question, Andy, there's there's so much going on, you've gone from like nothing in Horsham, it has been like the centre of the Bermuda Triangle, nobody wanted to go there, nobody, nobody would come to Horsham, it was just, if you did, you might never come back. Now that is actually more true now than it's ever been, um, because people do come and then they move and never go back, But but God has been doing so much, and people want to know, what's the silver bullet, what's the secret? And I get asked this question all the time. What is the secret? And the reality is there isn't one thing. But one thing I know is is that actually as I consider how I was before, I was very ambitious for God. I was very ambitious for his kingdom. I was very ambitious for the church. But I wasn't hungry for him. And if there's a secret... If there is a one thing, it's a hunger for him. But there are so many factors in there. But there are things actually that as I've considered the flip side of that coin, as I've considered the flip side to the what's the secret of the success, the flip side of that coin is what are there things that prevent that from happening? So rather than what's the one thing that that makes it all happen, actually, what are the things we need to get rid of that prevent it happening? And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. One thing that hinders the flow of the presence of God and the operation of the Holy Spirit is unbelief. And unbelief is rife in our culture. In fact, actually, British culture, Western culture, is, is hung on unbelief. And, and it invades our church context as well. Because when we talk about unbelief, there's something in our minds that assumes I'm talking about everybody out there. Because they are, after all, unbelievers. And we are believers. So therefore, you must be talking about someone other than us because you're talking about unbelief. And we are believers, so you can't possibly be talking about me. How wrong you are. Let's not limit unbelief to those outside the church simply, but actually consider how is unbelief blocking the flow of the presence of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so you'll be pleased to know, because I did say I love the Bible, didn't I? We're going to look in the Bible. It's all right. I'm not just going to give you my, my thoughts for the day. But let's turn together to Mark 6, verses 1 to 6. And I'll read this story that I'm sure you're very familiar with. And he, that's Jesus, went away from there and he came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went among the villages teaching. Now there's a lot in there if we don't just simply skim over it. Now, for us as Christians, those who follow Jesus, we're smart enough to disguise our, our, our motives. So we use different words to disguise the motives of our heart. You see, we wouldn't come right out and say, I don't believe that. So when I was talking and telling you stuff, maybe some of the kind of gold dusty stories, some of that kind of stuff, you're probably sitting there thinking something. But because you're British and and you're from Hastings, you'd probably just say, hmm, I'm a little bit sceptical about such things. Maybe you say, do you know what? I'm just naturally cynical about stories like that. you disguise... What the motive of your heart is, which is, Andy, I don't believe you. We, we kind of use sort of cynicism and skepticism as though they're actually better than unbelief. And the reality is unbelief, cynicism and skepticism are just different flavors of the same poison. Whichever one you take, it will still kill you. And I can think of many occasions where I've st- told stories of, of legs growing and, 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 and pain going and all that kind of stuff and be confronted with people saying, where's the medical evidence for that? Where's the x-rays? Where's, where's this? Where's that? When actually Jesus said, didn't he, to Thomas, you know, I'll show you, but blessed are you who believe without seeing. If someone's standing there saying, I had pain now, I don't have pain. It's a miracle right there. And they're testifying to it. But sometimes we just allow cynicism and skepticism to to creep in. And this can't be considered okay. We mustn't tolerate it because it will restrict the Holy Spirit amongst us. You see, Jesus always encouraged faith. And he always responded to it wherever he saw it. However, when he came up against hearts and minds that were cynical or sceptical or full of unbelief, even he was limited as to what he could do. Let's think about that for a minute. Jesus was limited by unbelief. He was only able, that passage says, to do just a few things. Miracles, just one or two. I want us just to ponder that for a minute. Because of unbelief, he could only do a couple of miracles. Have we become so complacent as a church where we're content? with what's been limited and we just celebrate what's been limited. But don't get me wrong, we should always celebrate a miracle. We should always celebrate what God is doing. But as a church, and I don't mean you, I just mean the church, have we learned to celebrate and be content with the limited pouring out of the Spirit when actually we should be pursuing and getting rid of unbelief because Jesus had much more that he wanted to do in that town. When he went to other towns, everyone who was sick and came to him was healed. But in that town, there was only a few. And I wonder if as a church we've just become so used to the few that we just learn to celebrate the few rather than wonder why there's only a few. But if we read this passage, the answer's there. The why. It's because of unbelief. And can you see what I'm trying to say here? As we settled, have we settled for the ones or twos and declared that is the kingdom coming? And we say, well, that's the now, because you know there's the now and the not yet of the kingdom. You've heard that phrase, right? I'm not content with the now of the kingdom. I want the not yet and I'm going to grab hold of it myself and I'm going to pull it into the now we've become content. And what we do is we say those few little miracles, well, that's the now of the kingdom and that Jesus healing everybody that came to him is the not yet of the kingdom and we've settled for that. But Jesus says the reason that this town settled for it was because of unbelief. And we're not asking for the more, we've become content. And Sam, just as you were speaking there about when you were doing the, the offering, when you talk about the offering, I just feel, just feel on my heart something from God. So why don't you just kind of... Just wait on him a minute with me, all of you. And it's about money. I just want to say nobody's put me up to this at all. I just genuinely feel this is, this is God's word for you. It's, I believe that there is much kingdom wealth to be re- released to you as a church. But the Holy Spirit <laughs> is a bit concerned about the amounts that you're asking for. Because you're only asking for a hundred quid and he's got tens of thousands to release. And he's concerned that if he gives you the hundred, you'll stop asking for the thousands. And I believe that there is kingdom finance to be released to you as a church. But don't be content when the hundred comes. Keep pressing on for the thousands and the tens of thousands. Don't allow yourself to be. Well, that's the now of the kingdom. I'll take that hundred quid. That's the now of the kingdom. Don't get me wrong with you. Thankful when God provides, we do all of that. But actually, I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, "But Andy, if I give them, if I give them the hundred quid that they're asked for, they're asking for, they won't ask for the thousands. And if I give them the thousands, they won't ask for the tens of thousands. And so I just feel like there's a moment." in God right now as we're even contemplating this story where there's more to be released and not to be content with the little. So Father, I just want to say yes to that word. Lord, I want to release it over this body of people right now in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you that you have got tens of thousands to release into this church and to to, uh, provide for this community through this church. And Father, we say we will not be content we will not be content with the hundreds. And even when the hundreds come, we'll continue to press on. Press on into the thousands and tens of thousands. And all God's people said... Well, I can hear the elders cheering louder than anyone there, but I just really felt that was something in God um, as we're considering that. And so, actually, is there anybody here that needs financial breakthrough right now? Why don't you stand where you are? You need financial breakthrough. Don't be shy. This is a safe place. You may be in debt and you may be in a situation where you think, you know, I shouldn't be in debt and I know I shouldn't, but I am. This is me. I need that to break. Okay. Anyone else? Going once. Going twice. That person that's sitting there thinking, oh, what will people think? Just stand up. Okay. We believe in the priesthood of all believers, right? Okay, so if you're near those people, why not you just lay your hands on them, and we're going to release the favor of the kingdom on them right now. Don't let anybody stand on their own. There's a moment in God. Right, It'll get messy. It's okay. Church is supposed to be fun, and it, it messes fun. So that's okay. Don't worry about that. Fantastic. Can someone just... Oh, there, there are people praying there. That's good. Fantastic. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you are the Lord of all provision. Father, we thank you, Lord, that nothing is too difficult for you. And Father, we declare uh, financial freedom to come now to these people. We declare the favour of our Father God over them and we release the storehouses of heaven over them. We declare breakthrough right now in Jesus' name. We declare breakthrough. We declare letters in the post with rebates. We declare checks in the mail. We declare cash through the letterbox. We declare uh, just freedom to come, mistakes to be revealed in your favor. We declare them over you right now. And Father, we just say, would you open the storehouses of heaven and pour it out on this folk that there be breakthrough right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Come on. Fantastic. Wonderful. Man, you're so good, you lot. You're great. I love this church. I feel very much at home here. This is cool. Okay, so unbelief is not limited to unbelievers. We're not immune from unbelief. And actually, if that's you, if you recognize, actually, I I do get a bit cynical. I I do let that creep in. You're, You're in good company. You read the stories through the New Testament. And you find that Jesus was constantly rebuking unbelief, particularly in his disciples. Now, we love the Matthew passage, the Great Commission. We love that, don't we? We love talking about that. But right before that, verses before that... Jesus rebukes the same people that he gives the Great Commission to. In the same breath almost, he rebukes the disciples for not believing the testimony of the women who saw him risen. He rebuked them. Why didn't you believe? Why didn't you believe the story that the the women brought to you? Jesus chose to reveal himself first to women. Yeah, all right, come on, let's go there, shall we? You see, the reason that, that the disciples got massively rebuked was because, actually, in that culture, a woman's testimony wasn't worth anything. A woman couldn't testify as a witness in a court case. She couldn't testify. It wasn't worth anything. But the disciples knew these women. These women had travelled with them constantly through that three-year period. Many of these women had paid for Jesus' His his ministry, I'm just saying, it was the girls. It's true. And so we need to consider that. And that's why regardless of whether it was cultural in in their environment, it shouldn't have been cultural in their relationships because they knew these women. And so they needed a different culture. And so the disciples were still trying to break free from their Jewish culture, which says a woman's testimony wasn't worth anything. But Jesus was saying, you knew these women. You trusted these women. I trusted these women. And so he rebuked them for their unbelief. They wouldn't listen to the women. And they became full of unbelief. And this is a huge wake-up call to us, where we let the not yet constantly determine what we're going to do in the now. And throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus challenging unbelief in his disciples. He uses phrases like, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? He was challenging unbelief, yet we know that the disciples believed in him. There's a story in the in the New Testament when a man brings his son to the disciples while Jesus is up the mountain. Um, and um, they're trying to kind of cast out the demon or, or sort out his epilepsy, whatever it happened to be, and they couldn't do it. Do you remember? And Jesus kind of came down the mountain and um, basically the guy says, look, you know, your disciples tried to sort this out. They couldn't. If you can help me, can you help me? And Jesus says, "Like if? If I can help you? He says, nothing is impossible to those who believe. And the guy says something really profound. He says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. You see, the human uh, nature, human person is capable of both belief and unbelief at the same time. That's what the Bible shows us. Our heart is capable of belief and unbelief all at the same time. And that's what this guy expresses when he says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And there's that, that thought of, of actually, I believe, I get it in my head, but I haven't got it in my heart. I get it, but I haven't got it. And that's what we, we see here. And for many of us, we need to respond to some of these stories and testimonies that we hear rather than respond with cynicism and skepticism, is to respond to say, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And unbelief affects us in so many ways. None of us are immune. Let me just run you through some ways that the Bible tells us that unbelief will affect us. Number one, it can break us. From God's plan. It can break us off from God's plan for us. Romans 11, verse 20, tells us that. Unbelief, it stops us from fully entering into the rest of God. Hebrews 3 tells us that. It can cause us to fall away in part or completely. Again, in Hebrews 3. It acts like spiritual poison. Acts 14, verse 2. It defiles the conscience. Titus 1, verse 15. Let's just think on that one for a little minute. It defiles the conscience. How many of you have been in situations where you think, I can't do that, my conscience wouldn't allow me. But unbelief can defile your conscience. And Paul says, "Just because my conscience is clear, that doesn't make me innocent." We've done that before me. Oh no, no. My conscience I couldn't. Now that's not to say that that's not given by God, it is. But just remember, it's not infallible. Just because your conscience is clear it doesn't make you innocent, and unbelief can defile the conscience. It can affect a whole region. Unbelief can affect a physical location. We've just read that. Now we need to think on that a little bit. Now I use a term quite often in terms of I can sense an atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. Now I don't know what your theology does with that. Many people have said, Andy, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an atmosphere. Let me just tell you something. I come from Essex. All right. So imagine yourself in Essex, in a small party, gathering of people. Sharon and Tracy and Michelle are all there. And they're sitting there and they're discussing what happened the night before. And they said, when we were there in that room and suddenly Chelsea walked in. Did you feel it? You could have cut the atmosphere with a knife. You heard that kind of conversation. Someone walks into the room And suddenly there's an atmosphere. Could be a good one, could be a bad one. And it's because I believe the Holy Spirit is a person, that when he comes into the room, the atmosphere changes. So it's because he's a person that the atmosphere changes. Okay, so there's that sense of this, this unbelief can also deal with that. It can push that out. And that's what Jesus was talking about in this passage. He was saying that it can only do a few things because of unbelief. So it can affect a whole region. It limits the power of God not only over my life, but also over the lives of the people I love. My unbelief can impact not only a move of God in my life, but a move of God in the people I love. Because of people's unbelief in that town, the whole region suffered. You know that when you become a Christian, you enter into a personal relationship with Jesus, right? But that personal relationship does not mean it's just about you, because you're grafted into something bigger than you. And suddenly, your destiny is no longer yours, it's ours. And so for us at Kings, when we receive people into membership, part of that commitment is a commitment to us releasing them into their destiny and a commitment for them to become part of our destiny. We're not on our own because actually what we do impacts the whole. And so unbelief in the same way can affect the whole and that's what we're just reading there. And so this unbelief can actually begin to poison all sorts of different things. It, it can affect our own hearts. It can affect our ability to walk fully in the power of God. But it also limits the power of God in other people. It affects the atmosphere in a, in a room, in a locality. And as I've considered this, as, as we begin to think about that, it's very easy for us to think, oh no, I'm, I'm immune from that, I'm, I'm far too mature a Christian um, for that, that's never going to be a, pro- a problem. But as I begin to ponder this topic and I've begun to think about it, I can see that I had rocks of unbelief in my heart. I'd allowed things to kind of creep in. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read out a list And what I want you to do, don't stand up and say, that's me. Um, I just want you to consider in your own heart what your responses are. As I read the list, what things do you identify with? Okay? But it's rhetorical. Don't, (laughs) yeah, that's me. I mean, if you feel led, fine, but that's, we can pray. But let's go for this. Ready, the first one. I find myself disappointed and let down by God when he doesn't seem to work or answer my prayers as I believe he should. When I hear of others' experiences of God's presence or power, my default response is cynical and I often try and analyse, minimise or disprove their claim. Others call me critical, but I feel they are naive and I am discerning. I first perceive situations situations as impossible rather than possible with God. Prayer is usually a last resort for me. I doubt that God speaks to others as they claim because he doesn't speak to me like that. Yeah, who's laughing now? I'm reluctant to receive prayer because it hasn't worked before. I think my situation, my sins, my fears, my habits, my whatever, fill in the blanks, will never change. I have a tendency to worry And have anxiety and fear about many things. I often control people and situations because I'm afraid to let go and trust God even when I know I should. It's startling, isn't it? And I, I was disturbed at the number of times I said yes to those questions when I looked at them. And rarely, even if we consider it, rarely would we consider it unbelief. But it's important that we recognize unbelief when it comes. Now, I do want to say at this point that when I hear stories that swing my believer ometer right over there, I do investigate. When I hear claims of someone who says they're a Christian claiming all sorts, I do investigate. But I investigate with honour. I investigate in order to prove what they're saying is true. I don't investigate with cynicism trying to disprove what they're saying. It's a subtle difference, but an important one. So we don't just go, Oh, yeah, a Christian said it on YouTube. It must be true. We say... First of all, I believe anything's possible with God. So it may well be true. And my heart is full of faith, not cynicism. So we want to check it out. but We want to check it out in order to prove that it's true and God is good rather than to disprove with cynicism. I think the other thing for us to remember is, is that belief and unbelief is a choice. So you're not naturally... Cynical. It's a choice. You're not naturally um, full of skepticism. It's a choice. You're not naturally full of unbelief. It's a choice. Let me explain that to you. Mark five thirty-five and thirty-six. While Jesus was still speaking, there came the ruler from the house. So this was a guy called Jairus. You'll know the story. Who said? Who said? Your daughter is dead. Why, why trouble the teacher any, any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He was giving him a choice. He wasn't saying, oh my goodness, unbelief is there. He's saying, don't be full of unbelief, choose to believe. Don't fear, only believe. It was a choice and it is a choice for us as well. And the story ends, obviously, with Jesus healing the little girl and and raising her from the dead. But the point, really, I want to make is, is that it was a choice. We have a choice to be full of belief or disbelief. I think we have a choice to say, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I don't think we probably say that often enough. I don't believe we come and respond and ask for prayer and say that often enough. You might come forward for prayer for something, but how often have you ever said to the guy or girl praying for you, I've come forward because I want breakthrough in my finances, but I don't actually believe it'll come. But if you'll stand with me, I'll choose to believe with you. We're not really that honest as Christians, are we? We come and think, oh, I'm supposed to be full of faith. I'm supposed to be coming for a prayer. Yeah, come on, come on. But actually, if we're family, we need to be heart to heart, don't we? And so be honest with one another. Don't be shocked when you're coming. I'm on the ministry team. I'm oh, going, what? Well, if you don't believe, I'm done. I know. We, we need to kind of work together and say, okay, well, first of all, let's pray that prayer that says, I believe, help me with my unbelief. And then we'll pray for the breakthrough that we're, we're looking for. The other thing to do is to hear with faith. You look at Abraham and Sarah. Sarah didn't hear with faith. She heard with cynicism. But Abraham heard with faith and it was credited to him as righteousness. We need to choose to hear with faith. I'm going to mix that with faith. However incredible it might sound, I'm going to, I'm going to mix it with faith. The other thing to consider is is don't judge. Don't judge other people and then back off. We can consider people that have moved in power, in signs, wonders, in amazing kind of evangelistic ministry and then spectacularly fallen from grace. And what we do is we can judge and back off. So we can talk about someone, and I'm not going to make any comments about them, but someone like maybe Todd Bentley, who you've seen move in in power and signs and wonders and then spectacularly fall from grace. And what we do is we judge his actions, and as a result, we then judge what's gone before. And say, because of his actions, he was a charlatan, therefore, everything that happened was wrong. Don't do it. Don't judge and back off. He's a sinner just like you. He makes mistakes just like you. But we can't just write off everything that happened before. Same with Mark Driscoll. We can't, just, we can't just write off everything that happened before because God doesn't do that. Think of King David. What a spectacular mess. Not only did he have an affair, but he murdered the husband. That's pretty catastrophic. We don't write off everything that happened before then. We haven't got big red lines through all the psalms that kind of happened before uh, he sinned with Bathsheba. We don't—we're crossing all that out. That's all junk. What that can't be possibly be right? But that's what we do with people. Let's not judge and and back off, and then say, "Well, anything that comes out of that camp can't be right because of that that sin." Would you be happy for me? <laughs> To write off everything that happened to you based on your last sin? We just need to think. God uses imperfect people like you and by his grace like me. And so let's not just judge and then back off. You see, the Bible teaches us to hold the line of the radical middle. That's where I want to be. And I believe where we failed as church is what we see in our nation and in our culture. We see a massive swing of the pendulum to an extreme of anything. Dot, dot, dot. And what we do in the name of balance is we swing to the opposite end to create balance. We think of it like a set of scales. And so the culture is loading up over this side on a particular issue. So in the name of balance, we load up on the other side. We're called to hold the line of the radical middle, which is what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? I'm not going to respond in an equal proportion to what culture's doing. I'm going to respond because what the Bible's doing. And that's why many things we don't see people come to church because we see our culture swinging over the issue of homosexuality and what the church has done is it's taken an equal and opposite view. We just hold the line. All sex outside of marriage between one man and one woman is wrong. Whether that's between two women, two men or even a man and a woman. Outside of marriage is wrong. That's the line of the radical middle. And we love them all. Every single one of them. We love them all. We don't judge. We want that. We hold the line of the radical middle. So let's not begin to kind of judge and back off. Let's hold the line of the radical middle. Folks, our response To this, as we consider unbelief, is we must come to a place of repentance. We must come to that place where I know that there is unbelief in my heart. Because I, for one, do not want to settle with just a few miracles here and there that the Holy Spirit's restricted to because I'm in unbelief. That's not what the kingdom coming looks like to me. You see, when I pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, I don't think there's much in the way of limited miracles. I don't think there's much in the way of limitation in heaven. And so, folks, we have to step into that. And so what I want us to do right now, I don't know if Aled and the guys could just come back and I'm going I'm to land it. I'm a little bit over. I do apologize. No, I don't. Is we're just going to look to kind of respond and step out on a, on a couple of those things. Is, is that all right? See, one of the things we've already stepped out in already is breaking shame. So we're not asked people to stand up because of needing financial breakthrough. There's an element of shame in our culture over certain things. And actually to stand up means that we break shame. But shame is a response to original sin. See, when Adam and Eve sinned, they felt shame. They hid And actually, part of seeing the kingdom come and all that Jesus attained for us on the cross, part of seeing that come is seeing shame broken. And so when we respond, we break shame. And suddenly, you'll see breakthrough. I promise you. So, we can have a little bit of keys or something. That will be great. Why don't we stand together? Thank you, Jesus. What I'm going to do is, seems crazy, but it's okay. Is if you know that there are areas where you're struggling with unbelief, I'd just like you to come down and I'm going to just lay my hands on you very quickly. Okay, it's going to be very, very quickly then. (laughs) There's a lot of you. Just areas where you're struggling with unbelief. Um, Guys, if you want to pray for people, that would be really helpful. My team, that would be super. Oh, wow. Keep coming. Keep pressing through. Because we want to see this broken. I I just feel this whole sense of the kingdom that's not yet being pulled into the now for you guys. And breaking unbelief is that. So I'm just going to pray a big kind of blanket prayer. And some of us will come along and just kind of lay hands on you. But it doesn't need, I'm not a man of power for the hour. Okay? Hopefully I'm just a conduit for the Holy Spirit to come and meet with you. And Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come right now. Where these wonderful folks have responded and acknowledged that there's there's rocks of unbelief in their own hearts. I pray as they stand here and say, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Holy Spirit, would you come and help them right now in Jesus' name? Would you Would you just sweep across this room right now? Each one of those people standing here, would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you break up those rocks of unbelief? Lord, would you give them the oomph that they need to be able to choose to believe. Do not fear, only believe. And Father, I pray to forgive us where we have been become content with the little that's resulted from unbelief. Where we've restricted you because of our unbelief. And yet we have somehow found a way of being content with the the limitation of wonderful as they are. Lord, we want to say we have a holy discontent for those limited miracles, Lord, where you're limited because of our unbelief. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. Break us free from unbelief right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. As well, I just want to say if you're one of those natural cynics and you want to see freedom come, Give me a wave if you think I'm naturally cynical. That would be me. Okay, that's, that's fine. Just be bold where you are. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to break this off you right now in Jesus' name. This is not your destiny. You are not a cynic. You are not a cynic. You are not a sceptic. You are a son and you are a daughter of the living God. Nothing is too difficult for you because of him. (laughs) Nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing is too difficult for him. And whether we have believed the lie of I'm just being careful. I'm being protective. I don't want to just accept everything on face value. I don't want to be a fool I break that lie off you right now. I break that lie that says, I'll be a fool. I'll be a fool if I just accept all of this at face value. I break that off you right now and I speak the truth. The truth is is that nothing is too difficult for God. Nothing is too difficult for God. He is your shield. He is your strong tower. He will protect you. Paul, he will protect the church. It's his church. He will protect it. You're just a steward. You're just a steward. He will protect it. Come off right now. Freedom's coming to you, Paul, right now. Right now. Right now. Freedom. Freedom for the more. Freedom for the much, much more. Freedom right now in Jesus' name. The Lord sees your hunger, Paul. He's delighted. He's so excited. He's got a massive journey coming. Much is going to happen. Much is going to come. And I believe just as you've quickly responded god's going to quickly come to you and break up those those boulders of unbelief those boulders of cynicism and skepticism are going to break off you right now you're going to be a man full of truth full of boldness full of courage a man who releases freedom over many thank you jesus thank you lord you're so good you are so so good you are so good If I just want to pray, Lord, a blessing over this church right now. I pray a blessing over you. I bless you as a church. I bless you with uh, financial breakthrough. I bless you with abundance from heaven. I bless you with relational capacity far beyond your numbers. A relational capacity for this town and this community. I bless you. With courage, I bless you with freedom, I bless you with righteousness, I bless you with love as a community, that you will be a community who loves, who loves well. Thank you, Jesus, you're so good. Guys, if you're receiving, please keep receiving, but if you've got children in TOTS or in the other children's work and they